<laughs> All right, welcome everybody to the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. <laughs> this is episode 173. Today is August 11th. It's a Thursday. Whoop whoop. Second day of my Black Hat experience. I guess arguably first day of DEFCON. I got to go get my badge because because reasons. Uh, but I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 30 minutes, I will be delivering the top cybersecurity news stories of the day and providing expert analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. So how can you like operationalize it and do something with that um, knowledge today at work? Or if you're looking to break into the industry, we have got you covered. Holler at me in chat, if you will. Uh, as, <laughs> as you know, I'm operating at like 63% capacity uh, from a studio perspective. So I, you know, if the audio, like basically it's simply cyber, right? So the audio, let me know uh, if the background music is overwhelming me, if my mic is too hot when, when we get to the podcast, if that even works. But before we get into all that, my friends, I want to say what's up, shout out and thank you to our stream sponsor, Barricade Cyber Solutions. These guys right here, right under the name card here, cyber criminals have get ready for it stolen your company's data dun, dun. derailed your business operations dun, dun. barricade cyber solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and more importantly to the ceo get your business back on track again i say this pretty much every day y'all if you don't have a plan for when ransomware punches you in the mouth and this isn't even like a fear uncertainty doubt pitch i'm just saying as a comprehensive cybersecurity program you should be thinking left of boom like what are we doing to protect ourselves and right of boom what are we going to do when bad stuff happens right and if you, a lot of people focus on the left of boom not a lot of people focus on the right of boom uh, and that's where barricade lives and operates so uh consider consider barricade cyber if you want more information barricadecyber.com i want to remind you if you have uh certifications like uh, SysP, SysM, the GX. Each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. So two and a half every week, 10 a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat, hashtag Team Live. If you're with me right now, 89 of you on the Simply Cyber channel is coming in hot. Or if you're watching on replay, drop a comment in chat, hashtag Team Replay. Why, Jerry? Why do I need a comment? I like to lurk. That's my jam. Okay. That's that's cool, but if you say what's up at least once in chat, you have forensically sound, auditable evidence that you can take an auditor's nose and swish it in and be like, here's my evidence, here are my CPEs, where are you at? I'll see you later, right? Not that like not that we like to smush auditors' noses and things because um, some of us were auditors at one point, right? And we want to be helpful. It just it's evidence and evidence is king when you're doing audit. So be sure to say what's up in chat or hashtag. I got my team replay shirt on right now. Whoop. Team replay live in large. Okay. Now, if you are watching on hashtag team replay, you have the benefit of time travel. You superhero, you, you can jump right to the news, which is awesome. So if you're listening on your podcast app of choice, just jump forward about 90 seconds, 120 seconds. If you're watching on YouTube, grab the slider, whoosh, slide to the side. But if you're here live or you're on replay and you just enjoy the pleasantries, you know what we like to do. I'm going to have 
this cup of coffee, 65% quality of what I like, and say good morning to everybody in chat, share a little bit of information from my Black Hat experience yesterday, and just get the juices flowing. So with that, good morning, everybody. Hey, Carrie, good to see you. What's up, Brian? Dan, William Aries, good to see you, man. Stella Cotton up in here. Ms. Julian, good morning, good morning. Mick Lardy, you don't have to say it in chat, but I hope that interview went went well, my friend. All right, Alex S. Ryan Spishok, what's up? Mersha Arnold, good morning. Oh, good, very good. So, hey, um, lot, a lot to cover today, just from the, the meta, right? So, I did the Trend Micro uh, talk yesterday morning. For those who attended, thank you. Um, unfortunately my mic was not working correctly and to compound that the network bandwidth was trash like listen here's the deal vegas they don't want you to know what time it is and they don't want you to be able to communicate with the outside world and i swear to holy god they they nerf bandwidth like i'm stunned that i'm able to run this live stream right now um but they did um, we did like stop the stream and then actually record with like my mic got fixed and we recorded it. So, um, I actually thought that like, I, w I was like a little nervous. I shared in discord that I felt like a little imposter syndrome, but I was like, really just like with simply cybers, daily cyber threat prefit. I was like, kind of like surprised at what I was saying. I was like, Oh, those, <laughs> those are really good points, Jerry. Like, that's an interesting, that's interesting. So like, um, I felt good and I feel like the talk was really interesting and looking forward at a topic that is definitely going to be all up in our faces. So I will be, um, the trend micro people are packaging or doing whatever they do, but I will be reposting it if you're interested as a produced video on the Simply Cyber threat briefing. I am in Las Vegas. It is Pacific time. But guys, for those of you, Eulachua, Poner Joe, Nick Barker, the whole West Coast gang, people in Hawaii, like, if, if it's late at night and you're watching this, if it's early in the morning and you're watching this, I feel you. It's not like East Coast gets to reign supreme. So that's why I'm up at 5 a.m. doing this stream right now, um, representing, okay? So I appreciate that. Um, also, shout out to a couple of Simply Cyber community members. I don't know if they're going to see this, but Q. I ran into Q uh, yesterday. She said some really nice things. Uh, Cooper Armstrong said some really nice things. Um, a, a dude named Nicholas, I didn't catch his last name, but we took a picture. I'm going to post it on social uh, or he did. Listen to me. This is the coolest thing. I had multiple, like I'm probably going to tear up, honestly. I had multiple people approach me yesterday. I had my Simply Cyber shirt on, so they, they probably could recognize me. And they said things like, like one guy said, hey, listen, I worked in construction for years. And then I found your channel, did, did, did the videos. And now I'm here at this conference because I work in cybersecurity. Like, thank you. And I was like, solid. So solid. That's what I'm talking about, people. Making change. Whew. All right. So here's the deal. Come on, Jerry. Get in focus. There we go. So here's the deal. The way that I can do this, this audio, <laughs> the audio today is um, I'm going to share the audio for my entire computer. So I can jump around the different stories. That means you'll hear Discord beeps. That means you'll hear, I, I said do not disturb and all the other things, but who knows, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Mm. All right. So without that, that, I made a bunch of contacts too. Um, I went to uh, the Dakota State uh, party last night 
And um, I talked to a couple people there who might come on stream to talk about the the lab work that they're doing. The re like basically Dakota State has like a research labs, just like JPL or Idaho. Like Dakota State is like doing legit research uh, out in um, South Dakota. So I might uh, bring on the lab people there and um, just bring it on for the show. Um, I don't know. Anyways, I, and I talked to some other people. The Uda Udacon. Uh, up in Virginia, I talked to the organizer there. Really cool guy uh, by the name of Bob. Probably has the best business card next to Kevin Mitnick's I've ever seen, um, which I could show you guys if you want. All right, guys, it's been it's been a minute. Uh, you're gonna get to watch the sunrise behind me, but let's get into the stream now, guys. You know how it goes. I'm gonna need some support here. Let me know if you can hear the audio. Ready? Here we go. All right, can you guys hear that? Did you guys hear that or what? Did you A did you hear it and B is it too loud? Like it's not playing right now. I stopped it, but like oh jeez. Oh my god. All right. <sighs> F. Okay. Okay. You know what? Business continuity plan. Let's do it. Oh, oh, you know why? Cuz I'm a dumb. I'm a dummy. I didn't share my um I didn't share my screen <clears throat> because of the beginning I wanted the title card. Give me a second. Here we go. Now I'm sharing. I'm sharing everything now, guys. You're going to get it's going to be a mess. Okay, ready? Here we go. How's that? You guys hear that? You guys hear that? The open cybersecurity framework? <laughs> please, please, please. Can you guys hear it or no? All right. Oh, my God. All right. You guys know what we're going to do. We've, we've got the backup plan. We've got the backup plan. Here we go. This is like suboptimal, suboptimal of what I want to do, but it is what it is. We make the best of what we have, guys. Ready? Here we go. Oh, am I, am I that stupid? Hold on one second. I really got to change this. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Now tell me if you hear it, you get to see how the sausage is made. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Tell me now. Can you hear me now? At Black Hat, Amazon Web Services. From right. the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Introducing the Open Cybersecurity... Okay, here we go. I definitely think you heard it now. Come on. There, there. I see Anna Lynn saying there. Does that mean... Yes, yes. Okay, and is the audio like at a good volume? Security schema framework. Is that a good volume, y'all? Okay, here we go. All right, cool. All right, so let's just pretend. <laughs> let's just pretend. Let's just pretend that was the AV check. Way to go, Team Live. 
Uh, let's let's dig in. All right, and I'll do my best to change this, but I only have one monitor, so it's wicked hard for me to kind of adjust this on the fly. Here we go. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Introducing the Open Cybersecurity Schema Framework. At Black Hat, Amazon Web Services, IBM, Cloudflare, Splunk, Palo Alto Networks, Okta, CrowdStrike, and several other cybersecurity companies announced the formation of the Open Cybersecurity Schema Framework to create a common data standard for sharing security information. The idea is to create a set of specifications for product and services to standardize alerts from different tools and speed interpretation of data. Currently, vendors offer proprietary dashboards that require manual labor and custom code to move it to other tools. OCSF standards will be available on GitHub. Companies expect to integrate these specifications into products within the next few months. Wow. Okay, so I didn't hear about this, uh, but this is really, really, really cool. Okay, so check it out. Um, I've said this on the channel before, and it's worth it's worth noting. Okay, so it's 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 called vendor lock-in, right? And vendors, what vendors like to do is they like to get into your environment, you install them, the, the sales engineers sell you on their product and whatever, and then you implement it, and it costs a lot of money. You may have to spend political capital, which means like you have to convince like the product and uh, the plant engineers, if you're like OT, ICS people, you may have to convince like the CFO, like say you guys are, um, or, or the director of IT, because you're going to put agents on all the endpoints with, and including the servers, which is going to slow stuff down. Right. So you, you, sometimes you have to spend political capital on all this, right? Now here's the, here's the reality. A lot of times it's proprietary protocols. So it becomes more painful to switch from like vendor A to vendor B because you've already invested time, money, effort into setting up, you know, either automations or just the way things work and the way things are detected, right? Now, if if you have a protocol standard on how you share this information, well, then it makes it much easier, much more trivial to rip and replace with solution B from solution A because in theory, it should be interchangeable, right? That's this. That's why we use protocols. So you have the same thing. I think this is awesome. This is a great, great move and direction for um, actual risk reduction in in industry. Like you know, like actually, what we're here to do. I know that products are here to make money, but like at the end of the day, we're trying to protect businesses. Uh, and giving them the flexibility, like if your product's junk and you just happen to have like a great marketing strategy, the 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 business, the customer, the client, whatever, us, like we shouldn't suffer uh, with having to like rip and replace out. So this is really cool. I did not hear about this. This would have been a major story. I appreciate um, that this is the news story. Now, Fraud Dog says like sticks. I think sticks is more like Intel. Uh, like IOCs and, and kind of sharing stuff like that. Um, my understanding with this story is it's much more around how de um, detections are coming in. Let me see what, let me see this really quickly. How is this different then? Uh, no, no, no. So sticks is more, sticks is more like, okay, like we're seeing these IOCs, like here's some IOCs. This um, OCSF seems to me more like, okay, 
an alert comes in, like the way that you fire an alert for we've detected some type of anomalous behavior, like it um, it spun up a new uh, a, a service over here and then it created an account or something like that, like like detections, right? This is my understanding of this. So you would have almost like standardized detections in, in a way, in that way. Well, first of all, like multiple products could do that, but also like when when people are talking and sharing, it, it's kind of like the next step after threat intel, right? So here's your IOCs and stuff, but then like when you actually see behavior on your systems, you can have a common kind of language with that. That's my understanding. Um, I'm just a huge fan of standardized uh, uh, protocols because it allows um, it allows everybody to kind of help everybody and have common language and, and get away from proprietary stuff like that. So big fan. New flaws found in Intel SGX. Intel introduced Software Guard Extensions, or SGX, to create a trusted execution environment to protect sensitive code, like encryption keys, even uncompromised systems. Flaws in SGX aren't anything new. Since 2018, researchers have discovered seven serious security holes with it. At Black Hat, two PhD student security researchers presented a paper about an architectural flaw in the Advanced Programmable Interrupt Controller, or APIC, that completely breaks SGX guarantees in most 10th, 11th, and 12th generation Intel CPUs. This attack doesn't require a side channel, but does require root privileges. The researchers see this as particularly problematic for cloud instances, where one vulnerable server could cause a significant threat to Enclave security. Intel released mitigations for the vulnerabilities starting August 9th, rolling out through server OEMs. CISA adds... All right, so first of all, I love academic... <laughs> I mean, I say this almost tongue-in-cheek. I do love academic research papers. Like, this graphic right here is undoubtedly uh, like a graphic in an academic research paper. It just has, like, a certain look and vibe and feel to it. Okay, so... The TLDR for me for this story is, okay, some, science, uh, some researchers are finding out that some type of unbreakable encryption, some type of unbreakable control has been broken again, okay? Guys, here's the reality, okay? This is, the, I've been in this industry for a while, like, this is reality. You cannot say something is unhackable. Don't say that. That is not true, <laughs> And if you say that, it's like the eye of Sauron turns and looks directly at you and it's just, you're going to get exposed, right? Like it, with all due respect, right? Like I'm sure um, in this case, the Intel people and the SGX people, like they felt wicked confident that this thing was unbreakable. But all you can do is say, we have really, really, really reduced risk of compromise, um, uh, which they have, but you know, whatever this, this thing, this is one of those ones where like you would be, you need to be like highly sophisticated, highly motivated and have a lot of time and have, you know, get, get the data and all that and then be able to break it. So, um, but it is cool. This is, this is the really cool, um, research that comes out at, at talks like black hat where I don't really know how to do anything with it other than be like, Oh wow, that's really wild. Like those people are really, really smart and just, reinforces that nothing is kind of unbreakable regardless of the claims. Again, this might be one that you file in a bookmark of um, don't don't make claims that aren't true, right? And I guess maybe when you're... I've never really had to do this personally, but I could see instances where like someone's trying to sell you on something and they talk about it being unbreakable 
um, and you could cite these stories and maybe get a discount or just straight up. Like if say you're vying for a product and your CIO is vying for a different product, this has happened to me. And like they're hanging their hat on the fact that it's a more secure solution. You might be able to pull up stories like this and be like, I don't know, like, you know, history has shown that that's not always true. So let's go with my option since I'm the cybersecurity professional and you're the IT professional and we're trying to buy a cybersecurity solution. Just saying. Okay. All right. All right. I'm just looking at chat too. Just tag it as Titanic. That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's keep rolling to its known exploited vulnerabilities database. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency added two more flaws to its catalog. Both show evidence of active exploitation. One is the dog walk bug in the Windows Support Diagnostic Tool that's been exposed for over two years. We covered Microsoft patching it yesterday. CISA also added a path transversal bug in the UNRAR utility for Linux and Unix. This could allow someone to plant a malicious file on a system, extracting it to an arbitrary location while unpacking files. Civilian federal agencies must patch these vulnerabilities by August 30th. Okay. So for us mere mortals, <clears throat> um, this is really good. Like this is very uh, use case specific, right? So CISA uh, adds uh, vulnerabilities to their list of actively exploited, right? The, the, the key takeaway here is like pretty much anytime um, a story comes up that CISA is adding something to their list, it's, it's important to just talk about the list, right? So CIS has done a really good job um, of coming kind of up to speed and Jen Easterly's kind of rebranded and refreshed the image of CISA. But they are running this um, actively exploited vulnerability um, list. And essentially, when we're doing vulnerability management, like we run our Nessus scanner or our Tenable or, or our Rapid7, whatever scanner you're running. Guys, here's the reality. <laughs> especially so if you haven't run a scanner right like you're you're trying to break in or you're just learning um then then listen to this and you'll see it the first time you do it and if you've run a scanner you know dang well what i'm about to say you'll run the scanner right and there'll be like thousands of vulnerabilities and you're like oh my god what the hell well the reality is there's a lot of things that are like low um, criticality. And by the way, the criticality of the scanner is defined by the vendor. They don't have any idea about your environment or where the computers are sitting or what sensitive information is on them. So you have to take a grain of salt that that's like, uh, like a starting point, right? The criticality. So like, let's just remove all the lows. So now you got medium, high, and critical. You're still going to have a ton of mediums. You should focus on the critical ones, but what is critical? You know what I mean? So it depends. The actively exploited list that CISA puts out, I would strongly recommend you, this is something that I like to do, use that list as a, a starting off point on focusing on what vulnerabilities to prioritize in your environment. Here's the thing. When you're going to eat a sandwich, you take it one bite at a time, right? You can't boil the ocean, like a million different metaphors. You have to prioritize. You have to break it up into actionable pieces, and then you need to work, you know, execute on it, right? And this is why vulnerability management is a full-time job. You can use that list to prioritize. Obviously, if you have like RDP exposed to the internet, that's a priority, right? But once you get through like the dumb things, the stupid configurations, the S3 buckets that are improperly configured, 
Then you can look at the ones that are actively being exploited. Like there's literally tools out there that people can download, point and click, and pop through your your door, right? So like Blue Keep um, had a, a a kind of a point and click exploit. Um, SMB shares with Eternal Blue, right? Double Pulsar. We remember that from 2017. Wanna cry? So focus on those and then you can go to the next level, right? So that's the power of this list that CISA is running. And they've basically added two more. One is the dog walk one, which frankly, I'm actually, maybe I'm mistaken. Um, I've been taking some leaps recently and chat's been kind of correcting me here and there. But like the dog walk one is, it seems like it's very related to the Felina bug, the Microsoft Diagnostic Remote Tool, which was like the new way to execute macros on boxes that the macros have been disabled. Like that's been around for like a month or two, right? I lost my mind a while ago about Felina not having a vulnerability logo. Um, so for Sista to add it now makes me wonder, like, is there an actual exploit tool? Because it was being exploited before. So maybe, I don't know, like maybe there's like, a point and click tool now, whatever it is, long story short, you can use it for prioritizing your vulnerability uh, management program. Industrial ransomware drops. The cybersecurity firm Dragos reported it observed a drop in industrial ransomware on the quarter in Q2. Overall, attacks were down 21% on the quarter to 125. The researchers suggest that the closure of the Conti ransomware group likely accounted for some of this decrease. In Q2, Lockbit accounted for a third of industrial ransomware attacks. Even though it closed up shop in May, Conti still accounted for 13% of all attacks in the quarter. The Black Basta group came in third with 12%. Researchers note that group did not account for any industrial ransomware attacks in Q1, with the uptick in activity likely filling the void left by Conti. Manufacturing remained the most commonly hit sector, accounting for 69% of all ransomware attacks in Q2. Yep. Okay, so here's the deal with all of that. Um, this is, you know, Dragos is kind of seen as the industrial control system, you know, uh, information security company darling, right? Rob Lee runs it and uh, they release reports. They have a kind of an Intel uh, service unit or Intel business unit and they release these reports and this is great information. Guys, these reports are sound. Industry recognizes the Dragos reports as, you know, high confidence type reports. If you work in Europe or North America, if you work in manufacturing or energy, oil and gas, right? These reports, you should definitely go read and carve out a couple factoids for briefings, uh, whether you're doing budget or whether you're just doing security awareness for, really you could do it for all staff, but really focus on um, the engineers the R&D people and management. What this report is saying is that manufacturing is the most targeted uh, industry for ransomware, right? So right off the rip, if you work in manufacturing, you should be hammering this point home. Second of all, it, like industrial control systems are in scope and Europe, they said, accounted for like 37% of ransomware attacks um, observed in uh, the last quarter, I think, or, or the last year. I can't remember exactly, but you can use this information. Why? It's not for fear, uncertainty, and doubt for selling a cybersecurity program or getting bigger budget. It's like literally, listen, here is the reality. It's, it is information 
that can be used for threat modeling because in order to choose like GRC perspective, like in order to choose what controls you should implement in your environment or what what's the priority, like what's my biggest risk right now, you need to understand what the hell is my threat because the threat is going to determine what your risk is, right? With information like this, if you're in, like, say, manufacturing in Europe right now, like, you should be wicked focused on this. And the report goes on to say, which I totally appreciate, that um, Lockbit um, led the way with 33% attacks, then Conti, then Blockbuster, then Quantum, Alpha V, Hive, right? You should be using this information to go, like, you could go to MITRE ATT&CK if you wanted to get next level, right? So you should just be protecting and being able to recover from a ransomware attack call barricade cyber or like once you've got that in place the next piece the next evolution the next level up of your cybersecurity program is to look at the specific threat actors using like miter attack to look at their ttps and then look at the controls in your environment to see if you can stop those ttps from actually happening or detect if they have happened, right? And of course, I know people might be like, oh, it's ransomware. Like, obviously we'll detect it because our systems are all hosed. Guess what? Ransom, it's not like, um, this isn't a video game where like you snap your fingers and like you're ransomware. You know, when we talked to Eric Taylor on stream a couple weeks ago, you know, you begin to observe network depreciation. You begin to observe things. You would see if it's moving laterally, kind of like trying to spread before it detonates, like you would see these things. So having your controls in place and testing them against the actual threats that would target you is huge value. And you can use this report. Um, you have to go to CISOseries.com and then go to today's um, story. This is CISO Series. Go to today's story and then you can pull up this report, which will link to the Dragos report. Okay, let's listen to um, the promo card here. And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor, EdgeScan. Scalable, automated, and continuous attack surface management and vulnerability detection integrated with a world-class cybersecurity team provide 100% false positive free alerts and expert remediation guidance. That was a short Twilio read. Twilio hackers tried to hit Cloudflare. Hold on now. That was a short read. Okay. Well, uh, I won't, I've been kind of going long-winded here, so I won't take a ton of time. I do want to um, let everybody know and say thank you. I did go to a um, event by uh, the Global Cyber Games event last night. Um, uh, Jess Gulick and that whole team, Eric uh, Bellardo of Raices, um, Neil Bridges from Cyber Insecurity. Um, th th this Global Cyber Games event is going on today. Today is August 11th. Um, it says 12 to 9 p.m. I'm going to try to get over there around 1. If you are at Black Hat, if you are in Vegas, uh, and you're looking for something to do that's a little different, um, this Global Cyber Games, it's going to be like a king of the hill kind of esports cyber competition. It is at Luxor, which is like not Mandalay Bay <laughs> or not Caesars, which is where Black Hat and DEF CON are. So, and, and, and by the way, like going anywhere in Vegas is like a huge pain in the butt. Um, but I'm going to be going this. I just wanted to share it with you guys because I really believe in what um, the global cyber games and, you know, by extension of that, the U.S. cyber games, the uh, the U.S. team um, that, you know, I I support and um, and want to want to share with you all. Um, they're going to be doing this. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I may actually have some time. I worked my butt off yesterday 
but I may have some time or will have some time to like post on socials and, and, and share on the Discord and stuff like that if I go to this event. So I just wanted to share with you guys because I think it's cool. And, you know, I think it's cool. Earlier this week, we covered Twilio and confirmed it got hit with a sophisticated phishing attack. At the time, TechCrunch reported that other major companies were also targeted by the actors. Now, Cloudflare confirmed it got hit too. The company said three employees fell for a similar phishing scam. However, its use of hardware-based MFA keys prevented intruders from accessing its internal network. The details again show the attackers as being both methodical and sophisticated, obtaining work and home numbers for Cloudflare employees and family members in an effort to make phishing successful. It's estimated that at least 76 Cloudflare employees received phishing text messages within the first minute of the attack, with the phishing domain only registered 40 minutes prior. Wow. Okay, so a lot of lot of stories here, right? Okay, a lot of information. Um, we talked yesterday about Twilio getting attacked and how, like, you know, I don't want to say how valuable Twilio is, but just like the the sheer the sheer. Um... Hey, Munchkin. Yeah, Raisi's is awesome. Um, uh, hold on. I'm getting Justin hit me up here. All right, hold on. I can't. I can't with that right now. So. Oh my god, I got distracted. Oh, so Twilio got um Twilio got, you know, phishing attack, sophisticated attack, uh, and they went for Cloudflare too. Like these are major, major targets, right? Like if you can get Cloudflare, if you can get Twilio, that's huge. Uh I think what's interesting here is that Cloudflare requires I don't know if it's all their staff, but requires their staff to use hardware MFA tokens. You can't like the MFA is important but as we've seen like in this story and mike jones the haunted hacker uh, a couple weeks ago um the mfa can be circumvented mfa can be broken right and and there's other ways that you could get around hardware tokens as well but the point is that the hardware tokens stopped the attack from being successful on cloudflare and they went the attackers went ham. They said 74 people got the phishing email within one minute of the campaign going off uh, for a domain that had been stood up 40 minutes. So these threat actors had all their planning, all their logistics lined up, and then they said, all right, rock and roll, let's go. And and they executed on it. Um, so they were obviously sophisticated. Hardware tokens, MFA, very cool. You can look at like YubiKey is a good example uh, there's a couple other ones. YubiKey is kind of like the most popular one. Um, obviously, like biometrics is, it's not a hardware key, but like you can't fake biometrics, right? Because it's your biometrics. But um, you get into a trade-off between convenience and security, which by the way, guys, like I haven't said this in a while on stream, but like it's very simple. <laughs> Think of a straight line with like a slider bar on it, okay? On one end is usability, and on the other end is wicket secure, okay? We operate, like anytime we introduce control, we are moving it from usable to secure. And we can't go all the way to wicket secure because then it's not usable at all. And yeah, you could have it all the way on the right as wicket usable, but guess what? Like that means bad guys can use it. That means that it's like wicked unsecure, right? So it's all about finding that really delicate balance. And sometimes it moves depending on the threat model, depending on what's going on. It's an active living um, kind of uh, value, right? But just keep that in mind. It's a very simple concept, but like the more secure something is, the less usable and the more usable it is uh, technically, 
Um, it's kind of less secure for various reasons. Occasionally, we have a win where it's more secure and more usable and, and, and users like it, but those are far and few between. Uh, the hardware key, really great security feature, but guess what? You lose the hardware key. You forget to pack it. You drop it in an Uber. You drop it in water. You step on it. You get it confused with others, right? Th these UB keys are not large. They're small. Um, and now guess what? You can't access anything, right? So you could introduce friction that way. But way to go, Cloudflare, um, for stopping getting breached. But um, but yeah, a win for hardware tokens. Oh, by the way, like people don't really talk about this too much too, but guess what? Um, I've seen this. Like I did this in an MFA rollout one time. Like the app on your phone cost $0, right? Microsoft Authenticator app, for example, if you're a O365 shop, costs $0. A hardware token costs, let's say, 20 bucks, right? Maybe you get a deal, let's say $10, okay? If you have a thousand users in your environment, that's 10 grand. Like that's not cheap. And, and, Literally, like the number of users in your environment scales to like how big your company is, essentially, right? So, like, if you're like Cisco and you have like you know two hundred thousand employees, that's a two million dollar investment, right, for each ten dollar one. And oh, by the way, you issue them all to everybody, but then you got to have extras because people lose them. Um, you've got to have shipping because you have to ship the hardware tokens to people you got remote workforce multiple offices all that stuff like rolling out hardware tokens is wick it's 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 expensive it's expensive frankly and then you have to manage them all because you have to activate them deactivate them all these other things but dude it's just it's not as simple as like oh let's just do hardware tokens next whereas the software app like you can send an uh email out to staff and be like download this app walk through this little you know three-step video we're up and running. You could deploy MFA in like a weekend. I'm being hyperbolic, but like you can deploy it way faster than hardware tokens. So it's it's not all about it's not all about like oh security. Like there, there's a cost investment from a time and money perspective that you have to give consideration to. Google blocks workspace account hijacking. Google added more security protections to its productivity suite. It will now show a verify it's you prompt when a user attempts an action deemed risky in a session and log these for admins to review. This should prevent threat actors who gain access to a user's account credentials from obtaining sensitive organizational data. Users will use a trusted second factor for verification. These new features apply to all workspace customers. Admins can also temporarily disable these login challenges when needed. Oh, God. Okay. Malware shifting from macros to shortcut files. File. Okay, hold on. All right, so Google now blocks workspace account hijacking. Okay, workspace is like, my understanding is workspace is like the, I guess the O365, if you will, uh, for Google, right? So like your email, your docs, your 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 um, file uh, shares, all that stuff, uh, that's your workspace account. So if you're a Google shop, right, a GCP shop, uh, then you operate in workspace. That's where your email is. That's where everything is. Okay. I will say this. I have, I use Google uh, for certain services and I have personally been pleasantly surprised by the nuance of how Google's implementing security when they challenge you for additional information or validation that it's you. And when they don't, I do not, I'm a security professional and you know, I still 
can feel friction from time to time. And I always just grumble and roll my eyes and be like, oh, you know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to spit like infosec evangelism, I have to deal with it when it comes up. But I, I get frustrated too. With my Google stuff, I am pleasantly surprised. I don't know what your experience is, but like it's usually pretty savvy about like, like physically where I'm logging in from or what device I'm logging in from or like the frequency I'm logging in. Like, so if I'm like trying to do something on my computer and then I have to use my phone, like that's two different devices, but because it's coming from the same like natted public IP, maybe it doesn't do it or because it's within a certain time frame. Um, I've been really, really pleasantly surprised with that. Uh, the bigger picture here, and I'd be curious what people think about this. I'll go back and look at chat after the stream's over. Um, Google Workspace, I'm hearing more and more. I heard a couple of people just yesterday, like, oh, they're like, oh, we're Google Shop. Like, Google's really trying to make an effort to unseat Office 365 um, or at least compete with it, which I appreciate because competition is healthy. Microsoft Azure, Office 365 has such a huge market share right now, uh, meaning how many businesses are running it and operating it. And and they're, you know, frankly, like the service isn't terrible. Like it's, it's pretty good. Uh, but Google's making an effort to go after that. But again, getting back to the vendor lock-in thing at the beginning, to move from O365 to Google Workspaces is a pretty big lift. You're talking about changing the way that mail works, changing the way that you know end users operate in their environment. And oh, by the way, make sure that your staff who is trained on Office 365 and knows how to administer it now has to get trained and understand how to administer Google Workspaces. So the only reason, Google's making a play at this, but really the only reason Google would ever really like make a healthy run at unseating O365 is if they charged way less. Like if you can make the money more appealing to the CFO, then then they would move in a second. Vendor lock-in, it's all about financial pain. That's that's what it is. It's all about the money. It's not about how inconvenient it is to move. It's about how much does it cost to move versus how much does it cost to stay. This under the eternal security game of cat and mouse. We've covered the slow rollout of Microsoft blocking VBA macros by default in Office. As macros become a less effective vector, a new report from HP Wolf Security found that malicious actors shifted to using shortcut LNK files to spread malware. The report found an 11% rise in archive files, including LNK files, containing malware on the year. Email remained a stalwart vector, delivering 69% of malware detected. Attackers generally include these shortcut files in zip attachments to help evade scanning. Right, okay, so... Hopefully you guys heard that. Um, basically, the report is saying that threat actors, and we, I feel like this is not news, honestly. You know, folks, <laughs> you know, chime in if you want. I don't think that this is news. Like, threat actors have pivoted, like, a, a, not a while ago, but like in the last six months, maybe, of having like LNK files, ISO files, HTML or HTMA or HTA. I think it's HTA. File extensions. Um, and basically they're trying to get you to run code on your box and they're trying to do it in a file extension, a file format that they know you won't have blocked by default in your domain, right? So this is the thing. And then they said in the story, like they're, they're putting them in archives or .zip files, .rar, rar files in order to uh, it'll like basically the file will be compressed that way when a scanner scans it it doesn't see 
the file type as what it actually is so it doesn't block. So if you say like block all LNK files, um, yeah, if someone just attaches an LNK file to an email, it'll block it. But if they put it in a zip file, the scanner won't necessarily read it correctly and you're not going to have the, um, the, the email gateway block zip files, right? Now you could, you could just say no file attachments in our environment. You have to do file shares. Uh, using OneDrive or Google Drive or uh, Dropbox or something like that. But for the most part, you, you could get zip files through. Um, and, and this is how they're circumventing it. So t two things here. One, great opportunity to educate your end users on uh, email attacks, guys. Like I know it's boring, but guess what? Repetition, consistency, until threat actors change their approach, you have to keep you know, basically reiterating uh, a to reinforce it and B for new people who just got here. Um, hey, listen, email is the main attack vector. You will be targeted by threat actors through email. Obviously, you have to change the language for end user consumption, right? Carl, Carl probably thinks the word threat actor is cool, but you know, I don't know if it would resonate as well. You have to educate them that listen, uh, email is the number one attack gateway, uh, attack vector, and there are file attachments that can run malware on your computer, right? Your computer can get taken over. Our business could get taken over if you run a file through an attachment. So A, question who the sender is. B, um, you know, this is what the attacks look like. Oh, like, you know, click here. You've got to run it in order to see it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, be mindful of all that. And then if you can, uh, obviously have EDR solutions that are looking, preventing the, uh, those type of files from executing or at least questioning uh, those type of files. And um, yeah, so so that's the deal. Again, I don't think this is news though because threat actors have been doing this for a while. Uh, Brian Woods asked, can you take a zip file to VirusTotal? I don't think so. I don't think VirusTotal um, will unpack the archive and then scan it, right? Like VirusTotal is just going to scan the file itself, which is the zip file. You'd have to unpack it and then send it to VirusTotal. Um, so anyways, hey, real quick. Well, here, let me finish that and then I'll share something cool that I, I heard yesterday. Krebs on email alias security. Security researcher Brian Krebs looked at the security pros and cons of using email aliases. These could be useful to generate a custom email account still tied to your main inbox letting you filter responses to that address. If you keep aliases discrete between sites, these can be used to track who shares or sells your email address. According to Hold Security founder Alex Holden, threat actors routinely scrub aliases to use the root email address when selling credential caches. Have I Been Pwned backs this up with only 0.03% of records using an alias. While email alias usage remains fairly small overall, Apple's Hide My Email service increased some adoption. Downsides of email aliases include sites not supporting the plus sign needed to use them and also causing difficulty with account recovery if you don't remember a specific alias. Yeah. All right. So, one second. Yeah. So, okay. Here's the deal. As they mentioned in the story, like I know for a fact with Google, you can do this, but with Google, Google email addresses, they like, they don't see periods, right? So if it's like first dot last name and you could send it to first last name and it would send it just the same. It basically just ignores periods and, and it will ignore everything right of a plus symbol, which is really cool. As they outlined in the story, you could have like, um, you know, simply cyber plus, uh, Netflix 
at gmail.com and simply cyber at Disney plus at gmail.com. Right. And then all of a sudden you, you find you're getting emails uh, for spam sent to uh, at Disney, Gerald uh, simply cyber plus Disney plus. And you can say, Oh, well, thanks a lot. Disney plus you'd be like totally screwed me on this one. Right. I have tried using email aliasing. I don't know if people in chat have done this, but like it becomes, it becomes like a pain in the ass. Like you're like, oh my god! Like, did I use an alias for this site? Like, ugh. Like, yeah, the the password vaults are pretty good at remembering that stuff. But it's just for me personally, the value of knowing what site comp like sold my information doesn't matter to me because I feel like they're all selling my information. So. What, like, okay, so Netflix sold my email address. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to stop ne- streaming on Netflix? I'm not that hardcore uh, uh, about my privacy um, or, or anger that businesses are selling it, right? Like, I'm aware they're selling it. Um, so, yeah, okay. And then on top of that, it's just a value to you um, to understand who's selling your information. As they said in the story, threat actors basically just run a script that says, delete everything after a plus symbol, like a regex, and then just put the email address back. So like you're not getting any security value out of, um, out of doing it, right? You're not tricking the end users. It's not like having, here's the thing. It's not like having a separate password for every website, which is a great idea. You should definitely do that. Having a different email address for every website. Like it's almost, I, I don't know. It almost, to me, it almost adds more friction to you. Um, as a as a consumer or as a user of the product than it does from a risk reduction perspective, which is why I don't really do that. I use Bitwarden myself. I used to use LastPass, um, but I use Bitwarden now, and I'm very, very happy with Bitwarden. I really, really enjoy how Bitwarden works on my devices, um, how it interacts with my browser, all that stuff. All right, so let me do this really quickly. Turn some music on, guys. That's the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I, I actually, so Eric Capuano, you guys may know him. He's from Recon InfoSec. Wicked good guy. He was actually one of my first guests ever uh, on Simply Cyber, like way back in the day. Um, the production value of that video is kind of cringy, but the, 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 the value of what Eric says in the video is amazing. I've had a lot of people come, come out and tell me that his SOC analyst video is is really, really good. It's the everything you need to know about being a SOC analyst. Anyways, Eric and I caught up yesterday and he was like, dude, um, have you heard of this this solution called Echo Trail? And I was like, no. And he's like, I've let me introduce you to this guy, Brian Kincan. And he's like, basically, here's the deal. It's like, it's like an, I haven't played with it yet, but he's like, it's like an inverted virus total. So instead of telling you if a file is malicious, it tells you if it tells you if a file is clean, right? So it's almost like a baseline. It's, it's almost like they've baselined known good files. And if you, like guys, here's the reality. If you as a practitioner have ever found a file on a system and been like, is this legit or not? <laughs> like, this is how I do it. Like I Google the file name and then, you know, it's like a crapshoot of like getting good information on whether or not this is legit. You kind of have to like piece it together. They've actually gone through and taken like known good builds of Windows 10, Windows 11, Windows whatever, and run all of the files on it and basically um, categorize them, right? And, and taken hashes and all that stuff. So you can test to see if a file is good. Um, and then obviously you could soar it and, and make it automated where like a file comes in, it checks, it's clean, it pushes it, closes the ticket, etc. Right. So very, very cool. 
I, again, I haven't checked it out. I'm actually going to... This is kind of on the fly, but I'm, I'm actually kind of curious. I just want to make sure I said it right. Oh, my God. Hold on one second. Echo Trail Cybersecurity. Um, yeah, echotrail.io. Yeah, uh, whatever. Check it out. Like I said, I haven't checked it out myself personally yet, but I, I want to check it out um, and maybe make a video on it or something. I, I don't know, but I really respect Eric Capuano's opinion. And if he told me that this is legit and that I should check it out, it, it's legit and I will check it out. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. That That's like, I, I don't know anything other than what I've just told you, um, but I wanted to share it with you guys. All right, guys, um, you know, that, that wraps up the show uh, for today. I hope you enjoyed the sunrise. Thanks for spending the morning um, briefing with me. It's 5 to 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I, I definitely feel for those West Coast folks. Um, I will spend a couple minutes um, just chatting with chat, but if you were here for the news only, um, you know, it, that part's done. So please have a wonderful day. I hope you operationalize the crap out of what we talked about today. Um, and I hope that you kick butt today at work. Uh, or if you have interviews, uh, I hope that goes well too. So I'm going to, oh yeah, thanks Ron Clark. Yeah, hit the, hit the like button. That's always, always nice. Uh, guys, let, let's, 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 um, let's have a little post-meeting chit-chat. Um, thank you for, um, you know, enduring, you know, the stream is not as high quality um, as, as I would like it to be. But this is the best that I can do, and I think it's sufficient. I think at at its base, at its absolute base, the point is to get this knowledge out there, and I'm I am doing that. So it's just not as awesome as you know a professionally produced show. But you know what? I'm in a hotel room <laughs> on a laptop. You know what I'm saying? So is is anyone out here, guys? Um, thanks, Jax. On um, hold on, let me do this. Um, can I do this? Okay. Um, Saturday, Saturday, like August, whatever, 14th, 13th, August 13th. Um, some of us are going to be competing in the Trace Labs OSINT Capture the Flag contest. I'm really, really excited. If you don't know what Trace Labs is, check it out on, I have a couple videos on the YouTube channel, on the Simply Cyber channel. Trace Labs works with law enforcement to find missing persons, right? Um, and I go into deeper explanation of what's a missing person and why people go missing, how, why, how they do it and everything. But um, they use the CTF. So, like, we're really helping a good cause. Like, I'm super excited about it. Uh, Base Case, a.k.a. Casey Yaska, he uh, stood the team up. I was fortunate that there was still an opening that I was able to join. So we're doing that on Saturday. And then right afterwards at 3.30 p.m. local time, we're having a meetup for Simply Cyber folks. I mean, anyone's invited, but it's kind of like the Simply Cyber meetup um, at 3.30 at Beer Park, which is connected to Paris. So if you are here and you want to hang out or high five or, or get a pint, whatever, um, 3.30 p.m. at Beer Park. I don't have a I, we don't have a reservation. We don't have a spot. The place is pretty big. I'm not worried about that. But it would be really, really cool uh, to connect with some of you. So, um, yeah, that's it. Got it. I think I'm gonna go over um, and get my uh, 
my DEFCON badge right now. Guys, I made a grave mistake. They haven't sold the DEFCON badge. Like, you could never pre-order it, right? Unless you bought a Black Hat briefings pass, and then you could buy the DEFCON badge as well, and then you'd pick up your DEFCON badge at Black Hat. Well, this year is the first year that I didn't get a briefings pass for Black Hat. I only got a business hall pass because I'm here for Threat Gen, um, at least for Black Hat, and I'm doing, like, Threat Gen work, so I'm, I'm in the business hall. So I thought I couldn't order the DEFCON badge, because they, they, so I was like, ugh. Then I go to see how much the DEFCON badge is the other day, and it's like, oh, this is the first year we've allowed you to pre-order, and I'm like, oh my god. And then pre-orders shut down. So anyways, long story short, I have to go walk over there with like $360 in cash and get my DEFCON badge. Uh, so I think I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, one of my buddies from my uh, Dakota State program, um, he, he's got to go over there too. So I think we're going to connect. Uh, but So that's that's that. Um, I, I don't know if anyone's got the DEFCON badge yet, but it, they're always pretty cool. I don't know, Jax. Hopefully the badge line isn't too long. They've gotten really good between allowing people who go to Black Hat to buy the badge and now doing pre-orders. I'm really hoping that the line isn't too long. Plus, like the line, from what I understand, the line opens at 6.30 a.m. And I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a bit of an anomaly. Like 